0: Welcome to Men's Health Monthly with Dr. Tom Walsh, director of the University of Washington's Men's Health Center and associate professor of urology at the UW, featuring important topics dealing with men's health, including prostate cancer and erectile dysfunction. Here's your host, Neil Scott.
1: Welcome back to our special series on KZOK, Seattle's classic rock station, and Sports Radio 950. It's another edition of Men's Health Monthly featuring Dr. Tom Walsh. look at many important issues that affect men specifically, including prostate cancer as well as sexual problems and mental health problems as well. My co-host, Dr. Walsh, is an associate professor at the University of Washington. He's also the director of the UW Men's Health Center. He's with us every month to offer his knowledge and insight into men's health issues, from prevention and education to information on advanced treatment options. This month, our special in-studio guest is Nancy Balin. She is the founder and director of the Family Jewels Foundation, dedicated to raising awareness of testicular cancer. And as always, we want this program to be not only for you, but to include you, giving you an opportunity to ask Dr. Walsh questions about health issues. And you can do that anonymously by emailing questions to Monthly at iheartmedia.com. Let's begin with a question for Dr. Walsh from the Anonymous Inbox. Philip from Edmonds sent an email asking, at what age should I have my first colonoscopy? I'm 35 years old. My dad passed away from colon cancer at the age of 65.
0: Oh, boy. Well, this is my chance to declare to our listening audience that I am a urologist. Mm -hmm. And urology pertains to the kidneys, the, the urinary organs, the bladder... The testicles, the prostate, the penis, things like that. So You're not,
1: you're not a rectum guy.
0: <clears throat> no, Well, I'm not a rectum guy, but I don't want to speak out of turn. But I know a little bit about this because I, too, am a man who's approaching that screening age. And what I can tell you is that the U.S. Preventive Task Force does have very specific recommendations about colon cancer screening. You know, there's been some debate recently. Some medical societies are now recommending that colon cancer screening begin at age 45, that's 4-5, while others, to the best of my knowledge, are still holding back and saying age 50, which has been the traditional age. So what should our listener do? I think our listener should simply make an appointment with his primary care doctor. And I bet you that given his family history of his father having colon cancer at such a young age, Mm -hmm. likely they would advise that person or refer our listener to a gastroenterologist, which is the specialist that does colon cancer screening. And there are a few different ways colon cancer screening can occur.
1: But to my knowledge, the best way is through colonoscopy. If you have a question for Dr. Walsh, drop it in the anonymous inbox, send an email to Monthly at iheartmedia.com. Now it's time to go balls to the wall, Tom. I, I No comment. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> our special in-studio guest this month, Uh, is Nancy Balin. She is the founder and director of the Family Jewels Foundation, love that name, talking about testicular cancer. Nancy, first of all, welcome to Men's Health Monthly. And second of all, tell me about the foundation and more specifically about your son, Jameson, who died at the age of 20.
2: Yes. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. We are thrilled to have this forum to achieve our vision, which is that nobody dies of testicular cancer. That is our vision statement, and that's what we are working for. Jameson was 14 when he was diagnosed with testicular cancer. He had had symptoms for upwards of a year. So because it was such a late diagnosis, he was actually diagnosed with a stage they now call stage 3C. His tumors went all the way up to his neck, and he had a very poor prognosis for surviving his first bout. He had very aggressive treatment. He found his way into remission. And the whole family, especially Jameson, enjoyed remission for four and a half years. Typically, if you have not had a recurrence or a relapse of this cancer by about two years out, you're relatively safe. Mm -hmm. Jameson stayed under surveillance for all those four years, four and a half years, and then at four and a half years after his remission— he relapsed. One of his tumor markers shot up, and we knew that he was in relapse. This time, he was 19 at that point. He had just was just in the process of finishing his first year at WSU as a freshman. He went through aggressive four courses of chemotherapy, which failed and then four courses of high-dose chemotherapy accompanied with a stem cell transplant where he gets his own stem cells back because of course his immune system is, is gone after all that chemo. And then he had surgery to try to remove the tumor the relapse had occurred in his lungs. And unfortunately this time, Unfortunate being the, the smallest possible word I can think of for what happened to, to him and to us. Uh, this time, the treatment, despite all of the agony he went through the second time, did not work. And on December 31st of 2009, we were essentially told, we, we were directly told that Jameson should get done everything he wanted to get done in his life. Oh my. And, and he was gone within 10 months of that on October 7th of 2010 mm. at the age of 20.
1: Mm. How did he handle that?
2: Jameson was quite a stoic. We asked him if he wanted us to leave him alone with his wonderful oncologist, Doug Hawkins, who's still at Children's now. He's a sarcoma guy, but he was our attending. We asked if he wanted a moment alone to speak with Dr. Hawkins. We presumed that he would take that opportunity if he was going to break down, to break down. So we parents left. We left him with Dr. Hawkins for a while, and we started talking about what we had just been told in the hallway while he had some privacy with his doctor. Generally, though, I'll tell you that throughout the next about nine and a half months that he was alive, he just barreled straight ahead. He created a bucket list, which term I used to think was kind of cute and funny. But when you need a bucket list, it Mm. ceases to be funny. Jameson had a bucket list and he was able to meet most of the items on that list. And he was actually relatively well and well is the wrong word. But he was put on an oral chemotherapy agent, which may have helped with this. Uh, He had very bad neuropathy in his feet, so he used a wheelchair at some points. But he did as much as he could for the time that he had left. He went back to WSU and visited people, stayed with his roommate, whose family is very loyal to the foundation still to this day. He was on the
1: rowing team, wasn't
2: he? Yes, he was recruited by the crew team because he was sitting in their... Gymnasium type workout room wearing his cross country gear from Bothell High School, where he was the captain of the cross country team for the last several years. And because six foot 135 equals both cross country and rowing, uh, the rowing team took note and he was recruited. And because he was six foot 135, he never grew again after his chemo in ninth grade. Because he was so little, uh, he was put in the bow, which is where the lightest person typically goes. And so he was fondly known as bow seat at oh, wow. WSU. So, God. yes.
1: Nancy Balin joining us, founder and director of the Family Jewels Foundation. The website, by the way, family-jewels.org. Tom? Uh, Nancy, I just have to thank you. I mean, that's an incredible
0: story. The vision of the Family Jewels Foundation is is spectacular. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because, you know, if you were to ask me, uh, you know, how common is testis cancer? It's not that common unless you're a young man aged 15 to 44 then it's the most common cancer that you're going to experience and and yes it's true it's still uncommon
2: and you know who's heard that almost nobody yeah. almost nobody has heard that statistic when i mentioned it in health classes or anywhere else to parents or young yeah. young people with testicles yeah uh, they have never heard that before and yeah. neither had we had we known i think we might have been able to yeah. save him and 85% <laughs> Curable when caught early. 95%. 95%. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And early means localized, still in mm-hmm. the testicle, not having broken out, not not beyond the scrotum, not metastasized beyond the body. Uh, Jameson's, as I told you, uh, one of one of his types of tumors are just masses called teratomas that grow and grow and grow and grow. His highest one was in his neck. He had one behind his heart and actually was originally diagnosed with a cardiac problem yeah. because he was having shortness of breath. Mm. And chest pain. Well, he was—he didn't have a cardiac problem. He had yeah. a tumor that was pressing on his heart. This again illustrates the vast ignorance that there is about this disease. And we are a set of pretty well-educated yeah. parents, and and very savvy. And mm. we had we had no idea that his testicle pain could be cancer.
1: When did he first realize something was wrong?
2: What we know is that he he had to tell us about his pain and swelling. On January 15th of 2005, because instead of getting ready for the ski bus at 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning, when we came downstairs, he was instead writhing around on the living room floor, unable Mm -hmm. to get up. That's when we realized, well, that was the day he was diagnosed, Mm -hmm. and that was when he finally admitted what was going on. In fact, he originally didn't even want to show us the testicle that was giving him so much pain and swelling. What we later learned, much later learned, is that he had symptoms for upwards of a year before that January day. And given that one of the several types of testicular cancer can double in size every 10 to 30 days, that was very grave lost time. You know,
0: Neil, I want to interject because I want to to meet out the goals of the Family Journal Foundation, which is to help no other adolescent or young man die of testis cancer. And so it's worth us talking about how do most men with testis cancer present? Because most men don't present like Jameson did. Some do, but most men present with just a painless lump that they feel in the testicle. And I didn't know Jameson, and I didn't participate in his care. I would wager a bet that that's probably what he experienced for a long time, but was too embarrassed to tell somebody about it or just didn't think anything of it. You know, never had somebody say, hey, your testicles should be, you know, they should be small eggs, robin eggs. They should be ovoid. They should be smooth. There shouldn't be anything hard or lumpy in them. And I bet he just didn't know that.
2: That's right. And what's difficult to admit, but which is what is part of our story and makes every parent I've ever met cringe when they hear it, is that we knew that Jameson was having pain in his groin. And what we thought was going on was that because he was a runner, he loved yeah. to run, ran in the rain, he ran in snow, he ran every everywhere, every time he could. Because he was a runner, we thought that he wasn't wearing tight enough support shorts and that his testicles were bouncing and that he was looking for a torsion. So, in fact, when I was driving to the emergency room on January 15, 2005, the thought I had to myself was, oh, dude, you finally bought yourself a torsion. So we have to live with the knowledge that we knew that he was in pain. And we thought that we were helping him fix it by making sure he wore correct sporting gear. Yeah. And we had no idea. Yeah. We had no idea it could be cancer.
0: Yeah. And certainly you're not alone.
2: I know. But it, it's, it's hard to live with. And because of Jameson's and our ignorance about this, we have two missions that we carry out. The first one we did was scholarships for kids who've had a sibling with cancer because Jameson bequeathed his college funds to his two little sisters. The other one is educating, educating, educating. I am very fond of saying more often than people want to hear that I am the only female you'll ever meet who is all testicles all the time. We are in high school health classes. We talk to rotary clubs. We talk to social groups, scouting troops. Anywhere that people gather, I tell people, I, I teach this.
1: If you've just joined us, I'm Neil Scott, and you're listening to Men's Health Monthly, featuring Dr. Tom Walsh director of the UW Men's Health Center, and this month's special guest, Nancy Balin. She's the founder and director of the Family Jewels Foundation, raising awareness with a call to action in the treatment of testicular cancer. When we come back, we will talk more about testicular cancer right after this. Did you know that diabetes, heart disease, and prostate cancer procedures can contribute to erectile dysfunction? Many men aren't aware of this or of all the treatment options that a board-certified urologist can offer. Understand your options and learn where you can find an ED specialist in Seattle to help. Visit edcure.org to get the facts and find a urologist who can offer treatment options that work when pills and injections don't. Again, that's edcure.org. I'm Neil Scott. Welcome back to Men's Health Monthly featuring Dr. Tom Walsh, director of the UW Men's Health Center. Our guest this month, Nancy Balin, who founded the Family Jewels Foundation in honor of her son, Jameson Jones. He died at the age of 20 from testicular cancer. Let me ask you about the foundation. How soon after Jameson passed away did you decide to do what you're doing with the Family Jewels Foundation?
2: Well, this is another interesting story. We had a a very well-attended celebration of life for Jameson on October 31st of 2010, a few weeks after he died. And apparently when I was given the microphone that day, I don't remember this, but I was told by many people, what I announced is that we were going to start a 5K so that we could endow scholarships siblings of children with cancer. I don't remember saying this, but four and a half months later on Jameson's birthday weekend, his birthday is March 14th, so he's a he's a <clears throat> Pi Day guy, you know, P.I. Pi. Four and a half months later, we had our first Family Jewels 5K, and we are about to put on our 10th on March 14th of 2020, which coincidentally, amazingly, mysteriously, falls on the day that should have been Jameson's 30th birthday, Mm -hmm. our 10th annual. And as we've always had them, we have them at St. Edward State Park in Kenmore because that was Jameson's favorite place to Mm -hmm. run. So our very first mission came from Jameson's, for the few seconds he admitted he was going to die, his request that his college savings be left to his two sisters. The other mission of educating young people, parents, old people, whoever has a young guy in their life, really sprang up organically as the years went by. After we finished endowing our scholarship at WSU Foundation and immediately got a scholar, who's now a doctoral candidate, by the way, uh, we came home to Bothell and established our scholarship at the Scholarship Foundation of North Shore, where we've been ever since. And currently we're supporting three kids through uh, four-year scholarships, each of whom has a sibling who had cancer. We're currently in four Seattle public school, high schools, teaching health classes. I've been in the Lake Washington School District working to get in the North Shore School District. Everywhere I can go in health class. And when I ask those kids, have you ever heard before that this is the number one solid tumor cancer of guys 15 to 44? Anybody ever heard that? Sometimes one hand will go up, usually none. Mm. So that we're starting from zero knowledge about this. I am a ferocious advocate for male health and particularly for teaching this particular cancer that is so curable what I like to say and it's the wrong word but what I like to say is it's so ridiculous that Jameson died of a cancer that is 95% curable I I still can't stand it
0: so you know Neil Nancy I I want to make sure that we really achieve something with this show which is to educate people and I want to think of lots of different audiences I want to educate the young men who need to know about this
1: parents parents
0: yes um and I and and maybe even some doctors and people who have the potential to make big differences yeah. out there. So coaches, I, high school I, coaches, coaches. Yes. yes, legislators, family yes. practitioners, where where we can have uh, a big impact. And so I just want to pose the question, Nancy. You know, I'm. I want you to teach me as well. What are the What are the number one risk factors for testicular cancer? We've talked about age. It's that age mm-hmm. group, that young age group. Yes. But what are the other things that put a young man at risk? For testicular cancer.
2: The number one risk factor that is readily agreed to by all experts in the know is that when a baby boy is born with an undescended testicle, what that means is, you know, all your organs are formed in your in your guts, in your core, and then as the fetus gets older, the embryo gets older, things travel to where they're supposed to end up. Your testicles are supposed to end up in your scrotum. Sometimes one or, I don't know, maybe both of them doesn't. And so that's why in the delivery room, one of the things the pediatrician is examining for is, did the testicles descend? They're palpating, just like the self-exam that I teach everybody I talk to, to make sure there actually are, as we say, balls in the sack. And if there are not, there's a surgery that can be done a few months later to bring the testicle down. Even if a boy has had that surgery, though, the fact that he was born with the testicle undescended that it, it did not get down to the scrotum by the time he was born remains a risk factor for testicular cancer. It doesn't mean that's causative, but it is a risk factor. There's some debate about whether having a family member with testicular cancer is also a risk factor. I know of only one that actually our radio host today is mm-hmm. about to inform you of. that We've heard about before, but now has come out again.
1: As a new study in this month's Journal of the American Medical Association. It reports that men who regularly smoke pot have an increased risk of developing testicular cancer, and that the long-term use of marijuana was associated with testicular germ cell tumors. Long-term cannabis users, 36% more likely to be diagnosed with testicular cancer. And Tom, you and I were talking earlier, we've known this, but now it's starting to yeah, come to the forefront. I, I want to talk
0: about that, and I want to take a step back and 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 talk about a couple of the things that, that Nancy mentioned too. She talked about this notion of undescended testes, which is absolutely critical to know. And so my message here is not just for parents, not just for young boys, but it's also to doctors out there, primary care doctors, pediatricians, to know that if you have a patient whose testicle is not easily examined, This is a patient who needs to see a urologist, needs to see a specialist to address what should be done. And it's really critically important to realize that not only does the surgical treatment of that testicle matter, but it can actually reduce the overall risk of developing testis cancer at some point in life. So it's really important. And it's been an ever-shifting evolution where you know, it used to be if this happened to a young boy, we might wait till much later in life. But now we really recommend that it be done as early as possible.
1: Nancy Balin joining us. She's the founder and director of the Family Jewels Foundation, family-jewels.org. Dr. Tom Walsh is my co-host. We were talking about marijuana as a risk factor. I think it's a really fascinating story. You know, for
0: years and years in a, in a laboratory, scientists have been looking at the use of tetrahydrocannabinoid for its contraceptive properties. You know, could this have some role in developing a male birth control pill? And it's never been perfect. But in this last decade, originating here at the University of Washington, evidence, epidemiologic data, suggesting this link between cannabis use and testicular germ cell cancer. And I think this latest study really sort of nails it, if you will. It is crystal clear that cannabis does something to the testes. Hmm. Not everywhere else, but it does something to the testes. And this is why our data shows that not only may it render some men infertile, but it clearly poses an increased risk for testis cancer. Talk about infertility as a risk factor. Well, you know, nearly a decade ago, originating from data out of Denmark, which is a, you know, has a socialized healthcare system where we see tremendous amounts of data on testis cancer. And Denmark, by the way. Not only is it the happiest nation in the world, but they also have one of the highest rates of testis cancer, much higher than in the U.S. In this very homogeneous population, we saw reports coming out that men who had presented nearly a decade earlier with infertility and poor sperm quality went on to have a higher risk of testis cancer. Our research group did a study reproducing that here in the U.S. based on a large California data set and found something very, very similar, where men who have infertility with low sperm count are at much higher risk for developing testis cancer much later in life, nearly a decade later. This is important. So we, we do say that men with infertility, some men,
1: may be truly at increased risk for germ cell cancer. We've got to pay more attention. And Nancy, you were talking about a sports physical that Jameson had where they just ignored it.
2: What I can tell you is that Jameson, because he was a cross-country runner, the school district required a sports physical. We had a family practitioner that we've been seeing for some years. He had, in fact, seen this practitioner back when he had a varicose seal, which is a scrotum issue. I believe he was either 7 or 11. I can't remember which age he was. So they'd had talks before about his scrotum. When He had his sports physical the June before the January of his diagnosis. The physician did not perform a testicle exam. I did not find this out until it was after Jameson was diagnosed because the physician showed up to visit him at Children's and was getting out of the elevator as I was getting in and was told the type of cancer and the physician's face just turned gray. And we later learned that uh, a testicle exam had not been done in that Uh sports physical And remember what I said earlier about one of the types of germ cell tumors doubling in size between every 10 to 30 days, and this was a seven-month time period. My sister could tell you that I went to a family social event, a large, expensive social event some years ago, and she happened to mention that one of her friends is a pediatrician. So I ran over there, introduced myself, and said, can I tell you a story? Because uh, what's interesting is that the family physician was a female, as was this woman I was talking to. We don't know what conversation did or did not occur in that appointment. We do know that a testicle exam was not done. And what this young female pediatrician told me, what you do is, if the boy or man balks at a female doing a testicle exam, totally understandable. And again, we don't know what happened with Jameson. But what I counsel physicians now, especially female physicians, is if your patient is male, has testicles, doesn't want you to do a testicle exam, A, ask him if there's something going on. Are you having pain? Are you having swelling? Do you have an issue? Do you have a lump that is painless or not? B, refer him to a male doctor so Mm. that he can get it done. Have those conversations. What the pediatrician told me she would do is say, that's fine, dude, I I don't have to do it, but you're not leaving the office until one of my male colleagues down the hall does it. Mm. That's one of those forever unanswered questions that we agonize about. Mm. Mm. Self-exams do prevent deaths or decrease the mortality or morbidity rate. Nothing can prevent testicular cancer. I'm always very careful that we never use the word prevent, but they can certainly cause much earlier detection. The other thing that's so ridiculous about that, as I say to the guys, I don't ask for a show of hands on this in health classes, but I say, look, your mother will tell you or your father will tell you that when you were about nine months old, you found your testicles. Like, wow, what are these? You know, you found them. So I tell guys, so you've been down there since you were an infant, and I know this, you never left. You're down there all the time now as it, as it is. So while you're down, da- and this is where I don't say, tell me anybody who's not down there all the time. I don't ask them <laughs> for a show of hands, but all the faces avert, the faces get red, the, they get on their phones, they're like, okay, well I can, I can see that I have landed a point there. So what I say is, while you're down there, do a little concentrating and see what they're like. And this is where a physician exam can be such a great partnership with these yeah. guys. And that is when you've had an exam the doc takes however what 5 seconds 10 seconds and says yeah they feel good they're fine you, you they feel healthy yeah. you have any problems with them no problems okay they feel good so now you have a baseline so when you go down there the next time you know okay when they feel like this they're good the doc says they're good so here's the takeaway if that ever, if they ever change in any way then now you know go get checked and go get checked right now yeah. remember what i said about 10 to 30 days i get a lot of very wrapped. Quiet, listening faces when I say this. I don't make them admit that they're, they're down there. Either they are or they're not. This is an uncomfortable topic for anyone. And I tell them, you know, find a way. To, if, if you can't talk about genitals in your family, find an adult that you can tell that you can get some help. Yeah. Because they are down there. So they need, to, they need to be down there with a purpose.
1: Nancy, tell me why it's important for females to be aware of this.
2: Well, and this, this is really important and overlooked and surprising to people. Because here's why females need to know about this as well. First of all, if this female is sexually active with a male, she may be the one who finds it. The statistics that we know about breast cancer are that about half the cases are found not by the woman herself, but by her partner, her husband, her girlfriend, her partner, whatever she's got, who either sees it or feels it or who knows what. Testicular cancer is similar. that About half the cases are found not by the guy himself, but by his sexual partner. Even for younger people, though, what I tell them is, you know, no, you don't have testicles yourself, speaking to younger females or about younger females, but someday you might be a mom, a sister, a mother-in-law, a teacher, a coach, a professor, uh, an athlete. You may somehow come into contact with a guy who complains about a pain in his testicle, and you're going to be able to pass this information along and maybe save a life. The other reason, and I have, I've actually had a testicular cancer survivor tell me this, when and perhaps those of you who are in relationships with guys or men know that they may complain about some sort of a malady, but they're not going to the doctor. And that's one of the factors I talk to young guys about is that they feel invincible, they don't want to go to the doctor, and this is embarrassing. It's a very bad, perfect storm of factors for this being a young guy's cancer. So I'll tell you what, those females who are in relationships with these guys, they're the one he's going to complain to, and they're the one who are going to drag him to the doctor. And I had a survivor tell me if my wife had not made me go to the doctor, I'd be dead because my plan was to keep waiting. So this is why not just half the population, but everybody needs to know about testicular cancer.
0: Well, there's a couple of really critical things that listeners need to take away from this. We've talked about some of the key clinical, the self-exam, but they need to have the website for the Family Jewels Foundation. Yes.
2: And that is family-jewels.org.
0: And they need to know the website for UW Medicine, where if nothing else, they can find a primary care doctor. They can come to the Men's Health Center. uh, They can figure out what they need to be examined by a physician,
1: and that's uwmedicine.org. Let's talk about the four steps in a self-exam.
2: What we do is we ask guys to take this pledge. For the sake of myself and my loved ones, I promise to check my testicles at least once a month. Number one, You want to do this after a warm bath or a shower. They come back down into the little bag when they're warm. So this is best performed after a a warm shower or a bath. And what you do is you use both hands and you cup one testicle at a time. Of course, the testicles are inside the scrotum. You know, that's why it's called a ball sack. So the ball's in your hand, in both hands. You're cupping one at a time and you're holding it between your thumbs, two thumbs, and your fingers. And you just roll it gently between your fingers. Use a slight pressure, but enough to feel if there's something in there. And you also want to familiarize yourself with the physiological normal parts of your scrotum. There's a thing called a spermatic cord and there's a thing called an epididymis. And these have jobs, just like your testicles do. They're tube-like structures that connect to the backside of each testicle, you know, in towards the inner side of the body. And step four is you're going to feel for lumps, a change in size or irregularities. It is normal for one testicle to be slightly bigger or smaller than the other one. But you, what you want to notice is Is there a lump or a bump? Testicles are not lumpy. Is there pain? Is there a change in size? And if there is, here's the biggest takeaway of all. Please don't wait. Contact your primary care physician. Get an exam. Save yourself.
1: Almost 10,000 young men are diagnosed with testicular cancer. If there is pain in your private parts, see a doctor. Men touch their testicles about seven times a day, but over 60% of them never see a doctor. 60% of young men don't know what the symptoms are and have never been told. Nancy Balin is changing that through her work with the Family Jewels Foundation. Please check them out, family-jewels.org. Remember, if you're between the ages of 15 and 44, get in the ball game. Check your testicles for any irregularities and get checked immediately. That wraps up another edition of Men's Health Monthly featuring Dr. Tom Walsh, director of the UW Men's Health Center. Men's Health Monthly airs on the last Tuesday of every month on Sports Radio 950 KJR and on the last Sunday of every month at 6.30 a.m. on Seattle's classic rock station, KZOK. Again, special thanks to this month's guest, Nancy Balin from the Family Jewels Foundation. The website is family-jewels.org. Until next time, for Dr. Walsh, I'm Neil Scott, wishing you good health and good sense in matters relating to men's health. Thanks for joining us on Men's Health Monthly. You've been listening to Men's Health Monthly
0: with Dr. Tom Walsh, Associate Professor of Urology at the University of Washington and Director
1: of the UW Men's Health Center, and your host, Neil Scott.